0: Praise the Lord. Would you turn in your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 49? And we're going to get started there today. Praise your name. Thank you, Lord, for the sweet presence here today. I'm going to start with a, what seems like an obscure verse today, but uh, we're going to read this verse and then we're going to pray. Okay? By the time I finish praying or reading this verse, you might be saying, Lord, help him. But in Genesis chapter 49, verse 11, it says, Bind his, Binding his donkey to the vine and his donkey's col- colt to the choice vine, he washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. And we're going uh, to speak to you today about two vines, the two vines, okay? Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for your word. God, because it's not just pen and paper. It's not just ink, your God, but it is living word. And, Father, in it we find wisdom and truth. God, we, your word lights our path, your God. It gives us insight and understanding when we are looking for it. And, God, I thank you, dear Lord, that it, it uh, fortifies us to be able to live the life you've called us to live. So, God, make us effective, I pray. Bless your word. God, I pray that, that you will personally apply what's said, dear God, to the hearts and lives of people. And, God, that not one of us would leave this place the same way that we came in. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Look, granted, that's a very unusual verse, and uh, there's not a whole lot of meat seemingly there, but um, let's go back and get a little bit of background in in, uh, this passage. If you go back to the beginning of of Genesis chapter 49, it's a very powerful passage. You've got the patriarch uh, Jacob, who was now speaking over his sons. And he's called his sons to him. He knows that he's in his last days. He calls his son to him, and he begins to speak blessings over their lives or speak things over their lives regarding their future. And, and uh, it's very interesting and insightful if you read through this passage because traditionally in this culture that they were, were living in, it would be normal for the oldest son, who was Reuben, for Reuben to have received the birthright, of the firstborn that he would have received a double portion because for one he was, he was responsible for maintaining the father's household but then he also received that double portion so that he could carry on and perpetuate the lineage of the father but you find that when he starts speaking and he calls his sons together he starts speaking over Reuben Reuben is completely left out of the inheritance he does not receive a portion because Reuben had been Uh, immoral that reuben had actually slept with one of his father's concubines and so because he dishonored his dad the firstborn is left out and then he comes down and he begins to speak to simeon and levi number two and number three they would naturally be in line at least number two would be in line to receive that birthright and then levi would have been number three but he should have been in line as well but you find that that jacob actually uh, leaps past them we'll find in just a little bit but why because there was a, a what seemed like a dire situation where um, these brothers' uh, sister, Dinah, was a, a, foreign, uh, a foreign prince, took her, raped her, and took, him, took her into her own household and wanted to marry her. And so he said, what can I do? I've got to have her. I love her. I need, I, I need her for my wife. What can I do? And they challenged the, that, those, that foreign nation, and they said, look, if you will you know we're a people set apart the Lord if you'll circumcise yourselves then then you can you know we can work out a deal or something like that. Well, when they did, and the men were uh incapacitated let's put it like that these Simeon and Levi went in and massacred all the men. Not only did they massacre the men if you read the passages, it says that they took the wives and the children and took all their possessions and they burned the cities, but they they uh, went in and, and took all those people as, uh, unto themselves and, and, and claimed them as their own. And because they were fierce and because they were angry and acted that way, God bypassed them with regards to the inheritance. Now, they, uh, uh, when the Israelites arrived in Israel and the land was being apportioned to them, different tribes received different territories. They were given their own specific territories. Simeon's family, instead of having their own specific territory, they were dispersed throughout the different tribes. So they were able to live among the tribes, but they weren't given a territory. At the same time, interestingly enough, Levi, even though Levi, the father, had been this, this violent person, you find that the tribe of Levi ended up being selected to be able to be the priests and the servants in the temple. But they were also given specific places where they they lived. They didn't have one big territory. They were given towns that they lived throughout the different areas, cities of refuge and things like that. And they were given a portion of land just out of those towns. But they were not given a a whole contiguous territory. Their, Their territory was broken up among the Israelite people. And... Just think about that, generation after generation, it was, uh, it was many generations. We know that the Israelite people were down in Egypt for 400 years, plus the 40, before they ever had the ability to go in and possess the land of Israel. But those generations that followed after these brothers, these sons of Jacob, those generations way down the road like that, at least 400, perhaps 440 years, those, they still lived under the actions or the influence of the actions of what their fathers had done. And I just want to pause there for a minute, even though I've got a lot I need to get to today. Look, every one of us in this place have, have reaped, we are reaping the actions of people who have gone before us. In some ways, it's a blessing. There are people that no fault of their own did not have an inheritance in the land of of Israel because of the fact that their forefathers had sinned and there was a consequence that was being passed down from generation to generation. The scripture calls it a curse. They were being passed down from generation to generation. It can be alcoholism in a family. It can be the effects of alcoholism in a family. It can be infidelity in a family or the effects that have been passed down. It's not just the direct sin or the direct But sometimes there are manifestations that come from that. There's brokenness, there's pain, there's hurt, there's resentment that is passed down. And and that's something that we need to be mindful of. But at the same time, the other side of it is there is a right to receive blessings from people who have lived honoring God and who have done the right thing and have chosen to, to live the way that honored God and that those are passed down as well. They, are, the, the, uh, they are, are blessings that are passed down to the lineage that follows after you. There are people that, that came out of the slavery and came out of the wilderness journey, and they received a portion of the inheritance in the land, and they had nothing to do with it. It was because of the way their forefathers lived that those people received an inheritance. There was a blessing passed down, and, and we always need to be mindful of this, that the way we live has consequences on the people that are around us, on our households, on the people that we have influence over, and the people that will follow us. So are we living in such a way that the people who follow us will call us blessed? Or will they look at actions that we've done in our lives and they will regret the way we lived our lives? We need to have a broader perspective and a broader scope of the consequences of how we live. But right in the middle of this, and the passage that I want to get to, if you'll go to Genesis chapter 49, verse 8, here, distant down the line of inheritance, not the number one, the number two, or the number three, but there is one Judah, a Judah who was a son of Jacob judah is the the name Judah is, is very closely associated with praise because the name Judah sounds like the Hebrew word for praise. Judah, if you look at his his uh his lifestyle and the record of his life, he was not a perfect person. He made mistakes, but the reality is that when you look at his life, you see a turn in his life and he begins to respond honorably one of the things that he did just as a for instance i don't mean to be going back into the whole history of judah but one of the things that he did when when jacob sent his sons down to egypt to be able to get some kind of food or sustenance during a time of famine in palestine and their brother who had been sold into slavery joseph was down there now as the prime minister or the leader under pharaoh in egypt and he was responsible for the storehouses of egypt Um, There was a a, 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 They didn't know that Joseph was in place I don't want to take too much time with this But what ends up happening The youngest brother is being taken um, As though he had stolen something And Judah steps up And he says look take me in his place He offers himself in his place So we can see that with all the things That Judah had been through Um, uh, judah was partially responsible for joseph actually being sold into slavery to begin with but here later in life later years you find that judah is willing to substitute himself on behalf of his younger brother so there must have been something going on in his heart perhaps he just grew in life and i read that and i'm like lord i thank you dear god that with all of my mistakes and with all of our mistakes that God's grace still reaches out to us and he he continues working with us to perfect us for his glory he's he is in working in our lives to help us change so we can start to reflect his character the very first verse here it's actually verse eight but the one that's the first on my sheet everything that I've said was preliminary okay in Genesis chapter 49 verse eight it says Judah this is when Jacob's speaking over him, speaking blessing. You are he whom your brothers w- shall praise. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. So as Jacob is speaking over his son, Jacob's getting ready to die and go on to his forefathers. But he said, you, <laughs> your hand will be on the neck of your enemies, and your father's children will bow down before you. And as you look at what God accomplished through Judah through the years, Judah was given, the tribe of Judah was given a special pra- place. They had a, a battle, a certain battle prowess. But also there's a foreshadowing here when he says, your father's children shall bow down before you. There's a foreshadowing of the fact that there will be a kingly line, a royal status to the tribe of Judah. And we, as you go through the biblical history, you find how that's played out. Let's go on to verse 10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. So putting it in context, we, we know the history, and we look back now to the beginning, and you've got this man who's standing there, he's had no scepter, he's had no royal lineage, he's just been one of the boys at the house, but the father speaking over him and said, the scepter shall not depart from Judah. Nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. What does Shiloh mean? Anybody know? Sh- Cecilda, we were talking. Shiloh means the one to whom it is prepared, or the one who is appointed and literally is pointing towards the day when Jesus would come. There would, and now and, uh, we understand it as Jesus, the Jewish people understood it as a Messiah. That there would be one that was raised up among them to establish God's kingdom, and uh, and so that word Shiloh is associated with the Messiah who would come, an anointed one who would come, one for whom it has been appointed. Okay. The interesting thing about this is the Israelite people held a hope in their hearts through all of the tribulation and turmoil and all the struggle and strife that they went through for many many uh, centuries. They looked forward to the fact that maybe one, that Shiloh would still come. The promise was still here. Now, it took, I believe it's about 466 years before David appeared, David being from the tribe of, of Judah, and he was raised up. But, um, um, so there was a partial fulfillment with King David coming into place that the scepter would be there. But we know that it was never completely f- fulfilled until Jesus comes. Something that was interesting when I was looking at it, that, that throughout, I know this is history, and a lot of y'all don't really get into history, but throughout Israel's kingdom, throughout, throughout the, the time frame of Israel's kingdom, that even up until the time of the Roman times, even when the Greeks had conquered them and when the Babylonians had conquered them, there were still uh, uh, people from the tribe of Judah who had, were in power, had been placed in power. There was always some measure of self-rulership in place. Even though some of them had been carried off into exile, there were still some, some in the lineage who are still in place. But in 70 A.D., in 70 A.D., there was, uh, you know, Herod the Tetrarch, I believe it was, was placed over the Jewish people along with the Roman rule. And for the first time, they were not able to govern themselves. And there was desperation that came through Israel. Matter of fact, it said that there were rabbis that began walking through Israel and they would say, Let me read it so that I don't misquote it. But it says that rabbis walked through the street of Jerusalem and said, Woe on us, for the scepter has been taken away from Judah and Shiloh has not come. Woe to us, for the scepter has been taken away of Judah and Shiloh has not come. So the rabbis were saying, We haven't seen our Messiah. We haven't seen our Shiloh. He hasn't come. But yet the scepter has been taken. We are no longer ruling ourselves. But what they didn't recognize, 70 AD, you know, they say that the dating of, of the AD uh, timeline, what do, we, what do you call it? Anyhow, our, our time system is at probably about four years off. It should actually be backdated. So that would mean that this is at this time, that Jesus was probably about 11 or 12 years old. What happened to Jesus around 11 or 12 years old? He went into the temple, he appeared in the temple and amazed the lawgivers. He amazed those in the temple. So the rabbis that were going around and saying, the scepter has been removed. We don't have, I and mean our, our Shiloh has not appeared. The reality is he was living among them at that time. He was on the earth already. So the prophecy had not fallen to the ground. They just weren't recognizing their Messiah yet. And it talks about that... that um, that eventually, when Shiloh comes, unto him shall the obedience shall be the obedience of the people. Let's go to verse eleven, and then we've got this obscure obscure verse, and we're going to take just a, t- a little bit of time to look at it. The one I read to begin with, and he talks about Judah, this kingly lineage that would come through Judah. We're talking about the, what God was endeavoring to accomplish through this kingly lineage, and it says of Judah and his lineage, he says. Binding his donkey to the vine and his donkey's colts to the choice vine, he washed his garment in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. I I don't have time today to get into the washing of his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. But I want us to focus on this. It says he he bound his donkey to a vine and he bound the donkey's colt to a choice vine. We're going to take a little bit of, of time to do that. But would you turn with me to... Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah chapter 5 was really the gateway that unlocked some things to me here. Let me just tell you, when you're reading through Scripture, there are amazing things that you find. And for me, when I read a Scripture, I can say, wow, that was neat. That was great. I get something out of that. And then I read that Scripture again, I'm like, I did not see that. There's something more there. And then I read it again, and all of a sudden, it begins to just open up and open up. And it's like this amazing flower, this amazing truth. There's so much depth inside of there. And the more you read Scripture, the more the Holy Spirit will unlock it to you, the more insight that you'll see. But beginning in in Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 1, this passage is just a masterful work of poetic Prophecy, and uh, I would encourage you to spend some time looking at it. it. Says in verse one: Now let us sing. Now let me sing to my well beloved a song of my beloved regarding his vineyard. My beloved, my well beloved, has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. He dug it up, he cleared its stones, he planted it with the choicest vine. He built a tower in the midst of it, and also made a wine press in it. So he expected it to bring forth good grapes, but it brought forth wild grapes. The imagery here is of a master, a landowner, who is anticipating. He is intentional in what he's doing. He has an intention that he's trying, something that he's trying to produce. He's working hard to, to accomplish something, and so he looks for a choice. It says, what does it say? A very fruitful hill. Now, something you have to understand about the, the land of Judah, from what I understand, they say the land of Judah w- was, was very uh, uh, accommodating. It was very, uh, the word I'm looking for, it was a perfect land for growing vines. It was a very fertile land for growing vines is what they, what they said. Um, Pastor Eric, I know you've been in and around Israel a few times. Um, I'm not sure what it looks like right now, but in, at this time, they said that it was a, a choice place for growing vines. And so God's speaking here, but he's speaking of, of 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 Israel, and he says, He says, His well beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. He dug it up, he cleared the stones, and so the preparation we see here, number one, when he got ready to plant his vineyard, he just didn't stick it anywhere. But he went and found choice soil, the best place. When God went looking throughout the earth trying to find an avenue to be able to bring salvation, to be able to bring truth to the earth, He went throughout the whole earth. And the scripture says it wasn't because Israel was such a perfect people or, matter of fact, it said that they were insignificant, that they were really no, nobody, but God chose a people, chose them as a vehicle to bring His truth and to bring the word of salvation and to bring Jesus into the earth. He went and chose a people. And he selected a land for this to all, all come about in. And it says here that, that in, in uh, his workings, it says that he dug it. It means the things that were there that were out of place, he broke up that ground. You know, the, the children of Israel had so much stuff that was inside of them. They had lived in slavery for 400 years under an oppressive slavery. Who can really tell what type of brokenness they can put inside of people? that they were completely separated from their their history and their culture. I mean, they were initially brought out of, of Ur of the Chaldees, and we know that there was all kinds of pagan worship that went on in that place, and then they wandered around in the land of Palestine without taking possession of it for years, and then the 400 years down in Egypt. And so who are we? What is our identity? What is our purpose here on the earth? And all that they had lived with was that slavery and brokenness for so many years. Then God digs the earth of their life and digs the earth of their identity and digs their life of their purpose and plan. And, and, and helps remove the stones of, of all the brokenness and the idolatry and the corruption. He works in them to take them out of that land and, and take them to Mount Sinai where God appears to them on the mountain and he gives them his law. He begins fertilizing and he begins pouring his principles and his plan and his purpose and his identity for them, identity for them into their lives so that they can be a different kind of people, a people of his choosing. And then it says that he, he cleared away all those stones, all the things of the past, all the things that would be a hindrance to them. He endeavored to make them a choice field. And then he said he, he, put, a, he put the choice vines in the vineyard. God gave them principles to live by. He gave them people to lead them. It says that he also built a tower in that vineyard. Why the tower? tower was a symbol of protection. God was willing to watch over them, that they would be a select people in the earth. God was endeavoring to do what He could to help them to be able to fulfill. He was offering Himself as His protector over them so that they could carry out the work that He had called them to do. And then with expectation, it said that He built a wine press in the middle of the vineyard. Why a wine press? Because He knew that everything that He had placed in them, He had confidence of what He had done what he had given to them, that he would have the ability to be able to reap a harvest of good grapes. When it talks about that choice vine there, it actually has reference to the best of vines. The best of vines, what you should expect to bring a, a fruitful, rich, uh, sweet wine. And it says in verse 11, I'm sorry, I, 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 jumped, down to, I jumped to the other passage, verse 11. I'm sorry, it's verse 2. But he expected it to bring forth good grapes, but it brought forth wild grapes. So God has worked so intently with the children of Israel. He's he's taken them from their place of slavery. He's instilled to them this new identity. He's given them his word and his promise. And when it comes time for the harvest, all he gets, it says, is wild grapes. If you look at the words that are used there for wild grapes, it literally means stinking or worthless things I've been reading through the books of Chronicles and and uh, and kings and seeing the history of the nation of Israel and seeing how these pagan kings would rise up and how they would just all kinds of debauchery and all kinds of idolatry and all kinds of things went on and how it made, made God's heart sick he had been working so long then you've got some that will rise up and do the right thing, and it says that they did good in the eyes of the Lord, except they didn't tear down the, the, the people, continued to worship the idols, and they didn't tear down the Asherah poles, or they didn't. They left this altars in place so the people continued to offer sacrifices there. And so it was always partial fulfillment, partial fulfillment, and yet there's still corruption among the people. Said, so those wild grapes are stinking or worthless things. Matter of fact, it says wild grapes, so it's not a cultivated vine like the vine that he planted. It's a wild vine. And the other word that's used here is actually stinkberries. I mean, if you wanted to go to a vine and pick a great grape off of the vine or have something that you can, you know, uh, use or or, or work with, and and what you get is a stinkberry, I don't even know what a stinkberry is. Anybody know what a stinkberry is? Mustang. A stink berry. How distasteful. distasteful. I've got three vine positions in my yard where I, I intentionally selected those vines. I've got, I won't name them for you because it won't mean anything to you, but they're, they're muscadines, are on vines. And uh, one's an early bloomer. One, one build, uh, uh, blooms and develops mid-season. One uh, develops late-season. And so they're actually the type of vines that can help propagate the other vines. I very specifically selected those vines. And my middle vine, my middle vine, there may be more, but on my last look, if I was able to find eight grapes on that thing, or ten, something like that, I'm I'm really upset. Matter of fact, truth be told, for about three years now I've been growing another vine right alongside it so I've got a big vine and I've got a sprig vine that's coming up there and I've taken that vine the full length of that thing and if that first vine doesn't produce this year it's gonna disappear that sounds harsh but I intentionally planned those vines to bring forth fruit and right now I'm wasting space with a vine and this other vine can be fruitful if I'll give it room to grow. The Lord sitting here looking at these vines that he had planted, this vineyard that he had planted, he's like, I gave you everything. The, the, the way this, the, the, the prophet wrote this passage, you can see, I mean, he left no doubt. that There was not a problem with the land. It was, it was good land. It wasn't a problem with the preparation. The stones had been removed. The ground had been dug. He got the best vines and planted the best vines. It wasn't because he had abandoned the vine and left it to itself and somehow wolves, or not wolves, but foxes and, and, and wild animals were came in, were able to come in and bring destruction to it because he set a tower to protect in the middle. It wasn't because he neglected it, not really paying attention to it. No, he even prepared a wine press because he was intentional. He was looking forward to, receive, to, to the harvest time coming. The problem was with the vine. Even though it had been a choice vine, the fruit that was coming off of that vine was stinkberries. It was rotten. There wasn't anything good, good about it. It wasn't worth putting in your mouth. And then it says in verse 4, What more could have been done to my vineyard that I, that, I have not, that I have not done to it? Why then, when I expected to bring forth good grapes, did it bring forth wild grapes? So the Lord, the vine dresser in this place, is saying, What more could I have done? I've done everything that I could have done. And then it says in verse 5, And now... Please let me tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge. It shall be burned and break down its wall. It shall be trampled down. And then he goes on. Let me change pages here. I will lay it waste. It shall not be pruned or dug. But but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain on it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are its pleasant plant. He looked for justice, but behold, oppression. For righteousness, but behold, a cry for help. So God's intention, he's talking about a vineyard figuratively, but really he's talking about the people of Israel, the people of Judah, and how even though he had done everything that he could do in order to produce righteousness and to produce justice among them, That because of the corruption of their heart and their unwillingness to yield to the purposes and plan of God, that God now was going to remove his hand of protection and there would be judgment that came on them. I don't think we get excited in the house of God when we talk about judgment. I don't think we should. We shouldn't be excited about seeing those things come. But God had to change something. We talk about it back there in Genesis chapter 49 where it says that Judah, that he would take his donkey and he would hook it up to a vine. But then the colt of that donkey would be hooked up to a choice vine. There's the purposes and plans of God, understand, God has not missed a benchmark in his time frame. From beginning to end, God has known what would be going on on the earth? There, we can look around us today, and, and there are things going on, on the earth today that really, you know, I'm not talking literally, but I'm talking figuratively. It makes me sick on the inside to see the hurt and the pain and and, and uh, um, the immorality that's rampant in our nation and is rampant around the world. I mean, you can't pass a day if you keep up with the news. If you don't go to the news for good news, but if you look at things just the, the taking advantage of, of children, and, and I've talked about it, so I don't need to elaborate. We, we talked about how, how the, in the drug co- culture, how fentanyl is becoming rampant, and we, there's, a, there's flaca, and the, all the drugs are being so pervasive across the nation, and we've talked about how you know the United States is one of the, the biggest nations in the world, really the, the, the biggest funder and, and more deeply involved in human trafficking than any nation in the world. Just recently, I learned, and I've shared this with some, but I learned about uh, someone that has been called to go in and, and, and uh, gather intelligence because of children that were being taken in Africa and being, being uh, taken in groups. And I mean, <coughs> the, the, the boys are being um, castrated and the girls along with the boys are being taken to other nations and being sold into slavery in other nations today. They're trying to, to find who the perpetrators are, who's funding this, and what those channels are so they can combat it. But this is our world today. You know, we can live in our church environment. Thank the Lord that we have family and friends like this. But really, there's so much hurt and pain out there in the world. Oh, my goodness, folks. Folks. There are rivers of life flowing inside of us. That doesn't mean our life is perfect and everything is straightened out, but that deposit that God has put inside of us is so powerful to deliver. But we've got to be willing to deliver the package. Doesn't do any good to just carry it around with us. We've got to take it to where it's needed and drop it off, give it to the people that have a need. So what did God do? In this state of affairs, this vehicle, this donkey, as it were, this donkey, as it were, that is, we think of that as the purposes of God. God's got purposes, but He also was choosing to was working through a vine. He had He had created a space, and we had created a vine. He had created a people that He could work through. But then He said, "There's a donkey's cult, and I believe it's a descendant of the lineage of Judah, and it's our Lord Jesus Christ." that he was attached to a choice vine, a new vine. And that what God was wanting to accomplish through him, he created a new avenue, he created a new source. What, what he was not able to do through perfectly through the children of Israel and the, the, the children of Judah, in, let's go to John chapter 15. Jesus himself speaks and he says, in verse 1 he says, I am the true vine, my father is the vine dresser. So Jesus interjected himself into that place of brokenness, into that place of unfulfillment, into where humanity had failed and could not accomplish what God, God wanted to accomplish. We had to have a Savior. We had to have someone come in that place. And Jesus interjected himself. When it says that I'm the true vine, the word that's used there for a true vine, listen to these, these, these definitions that it said, that which is Not only the name or resemblance, but the real nature corresponding to the name. So Jesus wasn't just a semblance of, he was the the real deal. He was the real thing. In every respect, corresponding to the idea signified for the name. When it says that he was Savior, when it says that he was Lord, when it says that he was Prince of Peace, he was the real deal. Real, truly genuine. It is the opposite of what is fictitious, the opposite of what is counterfeit or imaginary. It says true, voracious, and sincere. So when Jesus came and represented, he was the true vine, and his father was the vine dresser. Verse 2, it says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. The problem in that vineyard was not the preparation. It was not the planning. It was not the rocks in the ground. It was not a problem with the soil. There were actually good vines planted in there. But somehow there was corruption that got into those vines. And instead of producing that sweet, desirable fruit, the only thing that came out was, was sour grapes, wild grapes, stinkberries. So in order to produce the desired fruit, Jesus interjected himself and he became the vine. And it says here that he is the vine. He is the source of life. He is the sustainer. He is the one that provides the nutrition and the strength. But he says that we become the branches. So his desire is that he be the source of our life, but His life flow through our veins, that He manifests His goodness and his, his, His life and His vitality through us, that He brings fruitfulness through us. If we are trying to be branches and we're not connected to Him, we can't do anything. Have you ever taken a branch off of a tree so that it could produce fruit? Have you ever cut a branch off so that that branch could produce fruit, what happens? It dries up and dies. And it's even vital. I mean, those of you who have been involved can testify to this, but it's possible to be right in the heart of ministry and dry up. That's why you see people struggle, because you can be right in the middle of ministry and dry up. Why? Because this life doesn't work without being connected to your source. God doesn't want you to just learn about Him. He wants you to know Him. God doesn't want us to just perform our duties and just do works of service without having an encounter with Him. The power of the Christian life comes from walking in relationship with Him. something I want you to have confidence in. It says in verse 3, you are already clean. He's speaking to his body now. He's speaking to you and I. He says, look, if you ask me, David, do you have any flaws? I was expecting at least a chuckle out of that. Look, folk, all day long, I can find things that aren't perfect about my life. Things that I wish were better, things that I wish I did better. Things, things that, and it's not about, I'm not trying to glory in that type of thing, because I, I tell you what, I love what God, the intimacy with the Lord. I love walking with the Lord in my relationship with Him. But folks, if, if we are waiting to somehow not to have a bad thought, or not to have an imperfect day, or not to have a challenge or a struggle, if we're waiting for those things to be able to work for the Lord, it's not going to happen. It'll never happen. And a lot of believers, a lot of us are stuck at a place where we don't feel like we're, we're good enough to serve the Lord. Or maybe God would rather have somebody else do something because they know more, they're more perfect, they can pray better, they may be able to sing better, they might, you know, they speak more eloquently or something like that. God's not looking for other people. God's vision is fixed clearly on you. See, when we, are, when we can glory in our sufficiency and don't depend on Him, It really takes away from His glory. But when we are willing to step up and do something that God's called us to do, and He's able to shine through us, people are more drawn to Him than they are to us. He speaks in verse 3 and says, You are already clean. It's not because of what we did. It's because of what He did. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Can we just go back and and re-reference what I said earlier about God's word? If God's put his word inside of you, that word is powerful. When, God, when you read God's word and it comes alive to you, if you'll take that word and use it in your life, apply it to your life, speak it over situations or circumstances you come in contact with, it is powerful to rearrange things, to set Elements and and things in order to create what God purposed and planned, what He determined to happen. So release His Word into your situations. Not only that, when you're in your quiet time or when you're busy driving down the road and the Lord speaks something personally to you, that rhema Word, that revealed Word, release those things into your universe. Release those things so that God can accomplish His purpose. God is speaking to you something that He intends to do. The word which I have spoken to you, when God's spoken His word to us, we are equipped for to do His work. I don't know how to emphasize it enough, but God's word inside of you is powerful. I, uh, I won't mention any names here, but I was sitting beside someone Not too long ago, and and this individual was talking, and all of a sudden, the Spirit of the Lord just spoke to me, and I couldn't let go of it. I had to turn around and speak to them and say, there are miracles inside of you. There are miracles inside of you, because I believe that God's raising up something inside of them. And folks, the word that may seem so familiar to us is so desperately needed by people around us. Sometimes I think we take that for granted, the the fact that there's hope, the fact that there's love, the fact that there's life, the fact that there can be peace. Just look at the fruit of the Spirit, those things laid out as far as the character in our life, but those things are so desperately needed in the world, God's released His Word into us, not so that we become reservoirs, but so that we become conduits. He wants us to release His Word out there. The key to living a victorious life in the Lord, the key to being fruitful for the Lord, abide in me. This Christian life, this this life as a child of God is not intended to to work outside of personal fellowship with the Lord. Our lives are so jam-packed with busy. I've I've seen people that struggled in business and came to the Lord broken and hurt and and, and struggling to be able to keep the doors for their business open and struggling to be able to pay their bills and struggling to keep their house. And they came on, on bended knee to the Lord, crying out, Lord, please help me, please help me. God begin to bless. And I've seen the other side of that where all of a sudden they get so busy and so involved that they don't have time for God. And then they fall away from the Lord because they're so busy. Because they don't maintain the balance. Folks, if the enemy can't keep you by just sidelining you, he'll try to make you so busy that you can't spend time in his presence. We've got to be in the presence of the Lord. It's not a Sunday morning life. It's a a seven-day-a-week life. Take time to be in His presence. Read His Word. Talk to the Lord about the things that you're facing during the day. And then be quiet in His presence. Put on some worship music or just drive down the road and be still. Sometimes being still for me is taking out an ironing board and ironing. Yes, I said it. Mowing the lawn. Doing something where I may be physically busy, but my mind is able to be on the Lord. Just get in His presence. We cannot be fruitful unless we're taking time in the presence of the Lord. Abide in me and I in you as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. There's got to be a personal relationship. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you could do nothing. There's a passage that follows here that says that if we abide in him, that whatever we ask of him, we will receive. Folks, the preliminary aspect of that, there's a lot of people that come to the Lord with all kinds of requests. But the preliminary qualifier for that is that the key is that we've got to be abiding in him. Because if it's his life that's flowing through our branches, through our lives, then it will rearrange our perspective, it will rearrange our priorities. And what we'll begin to desire is what he wants to produce. And we'll actually be praying in agreement with the kingdom of God. We'll start praying in agreement with what is the best for our lives and not just our wish list. I'm not gonna go any further with this today, but I want I want us to pause right here. There were two vines. The first vine had a purpose and a plan. It had a place and I just want to say, God's, God loves the Israelite people. God loves the people that were the conveyors of his word, the ones through whom he brought his son. There's still a purpose and a place for them, I believe. But folks, the kingdom of God is, is much bigger than one people. And if, even if you look at the promises that came through and to the children of Israel, you can see that God's intention was that the whole world would have, have the opportunity to know Him. They were a vehicle to bring the Christ. And from the Christ, the kingdom was for the world. That God's intention was to reach the world. Because God so loved the world. But we... I pray that God will give us the grace and give us the insight and the wisdom to recognize that, that we are now those stewards. We are now that vineyard, as it were. What is it that God is able to receive from us? Does God come to us? Does all He get, does He get sweet wine? Does He get sweet grapes from our lives? Is God pleased with the fruit that He finds in us? Does he see sour grapes, just wild grapes, willfully doing what we want to do, doing our own thing without intention, without even consideration of what God's trying to accomplish in the earth? Or can God take pleasure in his vineyard? I'm going to tell you, I get out there in my little 60-foot run of, of vines, and I'll walk up and down there, and I'll check for bugs, and I'll try to protect it from that, and I'll I go out there and water it in the heat in the evening, and, and I'll, I'll go out there, and I'm, I'm excited about seeing the fruit beginning to bloom. Those last two vines on either end, they're doing really good, but the one in the middle, I don't know. <clears throat> but I get excited about that because I'm anticipating a fruitful harvest from my vines that I've labored over. Our life here in the earth as believers is not just about us one day getting a ticket to heaven and being out of here. We're supposed to be producing fruit where we are. Can God take pleasure in us? Can He take pleasure in us? Can He see His nature in the outcome? Can He see His nature in the fruit that's being manifested in our lives? Can those people who walk along and... put out their hands and take hold of the fruit that's being produced in us, do they get a taste of what God's like? Or is it something that leaves a bad taste in their mouth? Does their interaction with, with us somehow distance them from the vine because the branches aren't manifesting the character and nature of the true vine? May God help us to live in such a way that we bring Him glory says it's, it's, it's God's pleasure that we would bear much fruit. Continuing in that passage, but I don't want to go any further. Would you, would you stand with me? We have available to us more than any generation. There's never been a generation on the earth that's been so blessed with access to God's word and God's truth. We've got videos that are out there. We've got YouTube. We've got, through our church, we've got right now media. We've got the Bible that we can pick up and physically read. We can take apps on our telephone and get version after version after version and study notes and tools that have been provided for us so that we can immerse ourselves in God's Word. You realize that of all the nations that have ever lived on the earth, there's never been A generation that's had more access to the Word of God than what we have right now if someone intends there's not a limitation they can find God's Word but as stewards of God's Word we need to make sure that we are being wise stewards and we're using what God's put in our hands we don't take it lightly our time here on the earth is a stewardship and there are generations It may not be generations in time, but it's generations with regards to birthright. There's people right now that are desperate for the word that's inside of us. As a body of believers, as a personal individual walking with the Lord, I just really want to challenge you. Would you just make a fresh commitment to the Lord today? It doesn't matter if there were stones or rocks or difficulties in your past. There's a master here today that's got the ability to uproot things, get things out. Change your perspective. Your past is no more because he's broken chains. He's willing to make us fruitful vine on his behalf. Let's bow our heads to the Lord. Father, I have the right to stand before this people, your God and make a declaration over us, your Lord. Father, we who call this our fellowship, this is a part, our place of worship, your God, where we gather together as a family before you. God, we want to be a people that you can entrust, your Lord, with the treasure of your kingdom. God, Lord, that treasure is your word, your God. It is your anointing, your God. It's, it's your purpose and your plan. But God, really, you showed what you consider valuable to your Lord by coming and dying on the cross. Lord, you love souls. God, the treasure that you want to gather to yourself as the nations, dear Lord, you want to bring people of every color, class, race, dear God, every, every place and position in the earth, dear God, irregardless of where they are, regardless of where they are, dear God, you want those people, dear Lord, to know you so that they can be set free from the bondage and the snares and the hurts and the pain. The, the obsession and the possession, dear God, and the, the, the uh, addictions, dear Lord, the entrapment, the ensnarement of sin. Lord, and I just want to pray over our body, dear God, would you allow us, dear God, to raise children for you? God, would you allow us, dear Lord, to be a storehouse, dear God, of your people? And would you allow us to disciple those that are lost, dear Lord? God, would you use us to reach those that need to be reached, oh God. Change our hearts, oh God, from petty things, your God, or selfish things, your God, or trying to watch out for ourselves and make sure that our needs met without any concern for somebody else. And God, may we be willing to take the word that you've given us and release us into that dry land, your God, that needs desperately needs a river of life, your God. So Lord, I'm praying today. God, would you create new wine inside of us, oh God. Help us to be receptive to your Lord, to what you want to do. Help us, help us to be receptive, oh God, to the ways you're moving and what you're doing. God, may your anointing be fresh upon us, dear God. May you work in us. I pray for visitations, your God, in the home place and in the workplace and going down the road, your God. and quiet times with families and individual times, your God, that you would meet right there with your people. God, help us to understand this weighty and honorable mantle that you've placed on our shoulders, dear God, that we be the people of God in the earth. God, may you be glorified for the way we serve. Produce great fruit through us we pray bless your name Lord, be honored, be glorified Father I pray as we leave this place dear Lord that there will be like a rain that follows us dear God, that there would be rivers that flow to the people we come in contact with God help us to be a blessing and let the people who come in contact with with us dear God experience Christ through us and we pray this in Jesus name be glorified Lord. In Jesus name we pray. Amen.